This is episode 22 on the Follow Your Flow podcast. Have you ever been told by your doctor that what you're experiencing couldn't possibly be from the pill? Or maybe you're using the copper IUD and have been told that because there's no hormones involved, it it doesn't have any side effects. Well, in this episode, I get to talk again with Mike Gaskins, author of In the Name of the Pill, where we look at his 10 least favorite things that doctors say about birth control. This is a must listen for any woman who may be on or considering some form of birth control, as is Mike's book, a must read. And now it is also a must listen, having just been released as an audiobook. All of these details will be in the show notes for you to access. You can also check out the video version of this episode over on the Follow Your Flow website under podcast and episode 22. Please remember that the information on this podcast is not intended as medical advice. Please see your doctor if you intend to make changes to your healthcare plan. Okay, let's head over to the episode now to hear more from Mike Gaskins. You're listening to Follow Your Flow, your podcast on all things women's health, menstruation, and fertility. Your host, fertility awareness educator, women's health practitioner, and lover of all things health and healing, brings her wealth of experience, along with the real experiences of women and the expertise of health professionals. If you're looking for real and insightful conversations with real women, along with inspiring and lasting ways to improve your health, then you've come to the right place. Here's your host on Follow Your Flow, Sarah Harris. Okay, welcome, Mike, to the show. Welcome back. This is the second time I've had you on the show after our op. Do you know what? I didn't even look at which episode it was. I think it might have been episode 12, 12 or 7. Anyway, we'll go we'll go back and check that and I'll put it in the show notes. But it's been one of the most listened to episodes or the most listened to episode of my um, podcast, of the Follow Your Flow podcast. So it's amazing to have you back. Uh, it's great to be back. I, I feel like every time we get together, I could probably talk for hours. I, I enjoy speaking with you so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So for those of you who don't know, um, Mike is the author of the book in the name of the pill, which is absolute groundbreaking book. If you want to understand the history of the pill, and if you want to understand the research around the pill and how the pill and birth control in general uh, affects women, and it's amazing that, you know, we made a point of this last time that, you know, here you are a man uh, doing all this amazing work and advocating for women's health. And, yeah, it's just it's just incredible to have you, you know, standing up and saying, you know, we need to know more about what's really going on here. Uh, yeah, thank you. It's, you know, I think the fact that we probably discussed this last time too, the fact that I am a man and I'm not a medical professional, uh, I really let that be more of a, a hurdle and an obstacle to me, but it was, it was really self-imposed uh, for a long time. I, I would set on things or I wouldn't move forward or I, I wouldn't get things accomplished because 
of really that, that fear of rejection or people uh, questioning what right I would have to have a voice about this. And, and I really haven't encountered uh, much of that, uh, actually shockingly little of that uh, uh, as I've gone through this process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think women are really um, very grateful for that. Absolutely. Now today's episode came from a comment that I'm pretty sure if I have this correct, that you made on a Facebook post about uh, IUD, where I posted about the IUD and the link with IUDs or the marina and depression. And, you know, the statement that a lot of doctors say about that, that, that the hormones are acting locally because it's a device that's inserted into the uterus and therefore doesn't affect the rest of the body. And you made a comment saying that it was one of your least favorite things that that doctors say about birth control. So I jumped on that and sent you a message and said, okay, let's, let's do an episode because there's more than one. Let's do your top 10 least favorite things that doctors say about birth control. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I have stewed on this so much. You, you wouldn't believe how much uh, angst and, and time I've spent on this, trying to, to get these in the right order. And every time I go away from it and I come back to it, it's like, no, that should be higher. That, that should be higher. And, and it, it, you know, I keep wanting to push things to the top of the list. So as much time as I've put into this, I think I could just as easily say in no particular order. <laughs> because yeah. because all yeah. of these really disturb me, but they, and they all happen frequently. But uh, there you have it. And and we have to be clear that you know even though this is a top ten list, it's not a it's not a celebratory list by any no. means. You know, it's um it's the least favorite just to, right. to be clear. <laughs> right, and I think the only thing we could celebrate it is hopefully some woman will hear this and her doctor will have said something to her that, you know, it kind of gaslighting her uh, or, or making her believe that birth control could, you know, couldn't have been associated with what she thought it was. Um, hopefully some woman will hear that and know she's not crazy and will be kind of affirmed in her belief. So if that happens, then it'll be kind of a celebratory list. Correct. Exactly. Absolutely. In that way, it certainly will be. Okay, so we're going to get into this. So we've got two dishonorable mentions here that you've put in. So take it away with this one. Yeah, these are, I, I, I don't think they were quite enough to make it into the top 10, but they certainly are prevalent. Uh, this first one, they're pretty closely tied together. Uh, so the first one is uh, there are more questions than answers and more research needs to be done, uh, which is usually pretty closely tied to uh, the other one, which is birth control hasn't been proven to cause this side effect or disease. Uh, and both of these typically come from industry experts in, in articles about a study, you know, that comes out showing that birth control increases your risk of this or that. Uh, and there's always, you know, a, an industry a industry expert who's willing to say, you know, well, it hasn't really been proven. Uh, and then, you know, say, well, you know, and then when they're pressed on it, maybe they'll say, yeah, there are more questions and answers and more research needs to be done. But at this point, it really isn't proven. Uh, and this has been a tactic since the early days. I mean, even in 1969, Dr. Harold Williams wrote a book called Pregnant or Dead. And, and it was one of the things that really stuck in his craw was this, this sense of they would just poo-poo anything that came along by saying, well, it doesn't really prove anything, but they would never establish a benchmark to say what would prove it in their minds. So as long as they could say, well, this doesn't prove it. And then meanwhile, thwart 
future studies from giving more evidence, then they they were kind of in a, a no lose situation. Mm. And I mean, I think we're actually coming to this, but you know, there's the resistance to actually you know accepting or stating that something has been proven the side effects or the disease as a result of the pill but the pill itself has not even been proven to be safe so that in itself is is acceptable but it suits us to say that the pill is proven to be safe when it hasn't been you're right do you know what i mean am i making yeah. sense <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's so it's just like I said, it's it's a no lose situation for them. Yeah. It, 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 we still really don't. Even when the pill was approved, there wasn't enough evidence to get it approved. They they managed to push it through and coerce and do all these you know devious things to get it approved. But then the moment it's approved, it, any negative that comes up, they just say, "Well, there's not enough evidence." It's like, well, there yes. really wasn't enough evidence to you know approve it in the first place so now it's kind of funny that you're leaning on this this notion that there's not enough evidence um it's i i posted some study in the in the facebook group that i have uh that i started um the other day linking the pill to something that that a woman had asked about and one of the women replied you know correlation doesn't equal causation and another woman replied to that saying, except when it does, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, you could always throw that out, you know, there's, unless you have a, a 100% return on something, you, you can always deny to some extent that, you know, that maybe it's not really the correlation, you know, that's, that's causing this. Yeah. 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 Gosh, there's so much in our research world that needs to be questioned. <laughs> There is. And, 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 you know, for me, again, that's, that's one of the things that there's a lot of evidence of. I mean, there's to me, pretty clear evidence that uh, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these studies were shut down and thwarted in the early days and they've never been picked back up. You know, you just, you know, like I wrote about the green plasma mystery in the book, you know, it's, you have all of these studies that are looking into what's causing this green plasma in young women. And it's tying back to the birth control pill. And there are several studies going on. And then in 1969, they all just end, you know, and it's like, where's the scientific mind? How is it possible that such a strange, bizarre phenomenon could be getting all of this interest and suddenly the money dries up and people just move on and it's dropped. And yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And then you, you know, 60 years later and still nothing. Still nothing. You're right. Right. And that's, that's what it brought it back up. I, I won't get into all the details because it's a pretty uh, deep subject, but I mean, it, it, it was brought back up by these anesthesiologists at Penn university three or four years ago who were in the operating room and a bag of green plasma showed up and they were shocked by it. They had never seen it before. And so they started researching to, you know, to kind of get to the bottom of it. And they're the ones who found out that all of these studies were happening in the late sixties that kind of tied it to, uh, birth control use and the increased uh, cellulose in, in women's bloods who blood who were taking it and and then all of a sudden it just like I said it just dried up people just lost curiosity I guess because the money wasn't there or perhaps their higher ups told them that they were at risk of offending uh, major donors drug companies things like that but for whatever reason it, it was completely dismissed from that point. Super interesting. Okay. Um, let's go to, we're starting with 10, aren't we? 
Yes. <laughs> okay, 10. I feel like we should have a drama or something. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so do you, do you want to read them or do you want me to read them? Or yeah, how let, do you want let, to me, let me read them and then I'll hand okay. it over. Okay. So I've never seen the pill cause this before. The doctor okay, says. So, <laughs> right. So to me, this is, you know, this is, uh, this is probably a, a relatively minor offense. I just, I have trouble believing it, you know, as much as we see and hear, women complaining about the same complication side effects for, you know, from the, the minor ones to the major ones, I just have trouble believing that any doctor who spends that much time prescribing this drug has never seen these same issues before. Um, you know, maybe they're willfully blind and, and they haven't noticed it or, or they've just dismissed it and in dismissing it, they forget that it, it was possibly linked. I, I don't know, but it, it's certainly a, a very common gaslighting kind of line. I don't know if the intention is to gaslight women, but ultimately that's, that's what it does. I, you know, a lot of women, I think, feel like uh, they start to question themselves, you know, when the doctor says this and they start to feel like some, you know, she starts to feel like something's wrong with her. Um, and so it's, you know, as, as minor and trivial as the sentence may seem, I just feel like it's one of those constant little uh, toothache kind of things that's constantly gnawing and, and, uh, undermining how women feel and understand and, and what they understand about this drug. Yeah, absolutely. You know, women questioning themselves and questioning uh, that if they're, if they're crazy is um, mm -hmm. something that is just so deeply embedded and tied into, um, you know, this whole topic, um, you know, just in terms of women's health in general, actually, the history is, is long there. Right. So let's move to number nine. As long as you're not smoking or over 35, you have nothing to fear. I, so you've heard this one before, right? I have. I, I think you heard this one one. Yes. So, so the, the thing that, you know, I, I really try to give doctors the benefit of the doubt and, and, you know, maybe it's not the same doctors, but, you know, it's things like this that make it really hard for me to to give a doctor the benefit of the doubt. Cause I hear this over and over from women. They'll, you know, well, you know, you tell them about a, you know, a side effect or, you know, to be concerned about migraines or something like that. And then how many times do you hear, you know, well, my doctor said, as long as I'm, you know, not smoking and I'm still young, I don't have to worry about that. So, okay. Uh, you know, it is true. Those, those risks increase as you get over 35 or if you smoke or both, but then the, the flip side of it, the thing that makes it really hard for me to justify that the doctor is innocent is how many times I see women who are 35 and older, whose doctors suddenly think it's okay to prescribe birth control to them to help them regulate their period or transition into perimenopause or whatever. It's like, well, wait a minute, you spend all your time telling these young women, they don't need to worry as long as they're young, but the minute they turn 35, you're going to find another reason to get them on birth control. Uh, and so that's, that's part of the reason this one's in the top 10. It just, it really gets under my skin when I, when I hear both sides of that, you know, a, a woman mm -hmm. in her early forties who the doctor just prescribed birth control to, and, and she's talking about her side effects um, versus the young woman who says, my doctor says, I don't need to worry because I'm young. It, it just, it's, it, yeah, it's one of those that makes me feel like I need to duct tape my head because my brain's going to explode. <laughs> Yes, I understand. <laughs> and me. I have no hair, so I can get yeah. away with duct taping my head. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And, and of course, you know, as you mentioned with the migraines, you know, there's, there's, there's so many other symptoms and so many other things that women experience, um, you know, that, yeah, that this is, if you just condense it and reduce it just to this, this sentence, um, there's so much that, that is missed. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's funny how, you know, doctors hear these studies and they, they cling on to these little phrases, you know, these little mitigating phrases, Um, you you know, how can you read an entire study that shows how dangerous these drugs are? And the one thing you take away from it is the risks increase when you hit 35 or if you smoke. And that's the one thing you cling to and start giving to women as an assurance that they don't need to worry. It just, I don't know. Again, it's, Mm. it, it makes me, it makes me fight my anger. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And those, those, those leaflets in the packet, you know, just tell, tell more of the story, but you know, sometimes not even the full story. Right. Right. You ready for number eight? Sure. Okay, the black box warning may say not to take Depo, so this is Depo Provera, for longer than two years. But just take calcium just take a calcium supplement and you'll be fine. Uh, okay, again, this one's another one that has layers of, of things to it that that drive me crazy. Um, I guess the uh, the first thing is the amount of uh, the amount of evidence it takes. To, to move the FDA to action, to actually include a black box warning on a drug like this. That's the first thing. It, it takes a lot to get the FDA to actually do something like this. So they did it. And they warned right there on the patient information pamphlet that it's not to be, you know, depot is in, in injections like that are not to be taken as a long-term contraceptive. And they even say you shouldn't take it longer than two years. So it's pretty clear, clear pretty straightforward. But then you have so many doctors who are telling women, Women who ask about it, women who hear about it and are concerned and ask the doctor, hey, should I stop using this? I've been taking it longer than two years and I've heard that there's this black box warning. How many times have you heard it? The doctor says, no, you'll be fine. Just take a calcium supplement. Well, the black box warning says nothing about taking a calcium supplement. It just, it just clear and defined says you shouldn't take it longer than two years. Uh, so it, it, I, th- I think it's borderline criminal for a doctor to dismiss a black box warning like that and, and, and to, to suggest that just taking a calcium supplement is, is going to make it okay and you can still take it for 10 or 12 years. I mean, it, it, I, I've met several women who have been on depot for that long. Um, and then the other side to it that's just kind of odd to me is how, how doctors, MDs, typically respond to the idea of supplements in the first place. You know, a lot of times they'll act like, you know, the minute you mention supplements, they'll act like you're one of those crazy wacky naturopaths that they don't want anything to do with. So it's kind of odd to me that this is the one time doctors uh, feel comfortable suggesting a, a supplement, you know? Mm. Mm. I know. Um, Cause I've, I'm in your Facebook group that you uh, have, which is, which is, you know, such a great platform for women to, you know, talk about their experiences with birth control. And there's quite a number of times I've seen women who have posted about their taking depot for years, you know, not, not even realizing that there is a two year, uh, you know, that's the recommendation. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's it's not it's not common knowledge. I don't think doctors mm. are 
too eager to make it common knowledge. No. All right. Well, that's a, a great one to bring. I mean, all of these are great ones to bring out into the open and to um, bring more awareness to this topic. So let's go to number seven. Okay. The copper IUD has no side effects because it doesn't deliver any drugs or hormones. Um, yeah, this is, and, and this is one that I think I probably was guilty of too, uh, when my book came out, um, I, I didn't write a whole lot about IUDs, um, but in the in the back of my mind, I think I had probably assumed that um, copper IUD, uh, IUD was safer than than you know birth control, and and I, you know I don't know the numbers, I don't know that it's not safer, but the idea that it wasn't delivering a drug to me. Um, made me think it was probably kind of like the safe alternative to hormonal birth control. Um, but then I was, uh, I was shocked by the number of women who reached out when my book came out, asking me if I would start writing about the IUD and telling me about their troubles with, uh, you know, copper toxicity and copper overload. And um, it was, it was really pretty shocking. It was an eye opener for me. Um, and then you know, I think the, the medical industry still isn't sure exactly how the IUD works, how it's effective. But one of the things that it does is, you know, you insert this IUD into your uterus and it creates a uh, an environment that activates the immune system. So, you know, your body starts producing these white blood cells and you, and you have like this inflammation uh, in the uterus area and it makes it a, an unwelcome environment for, you know, for sperm or, or whatever. Uh, and then that's how it's able to, to work. But you're in doing that, you're throwing your, your immune system into kind of a out of balance into a, into a bad state where you're, you're right on this line of infection and, and, and everything all the time. And also with that, that sense of infection there, that, that causes your body to increase its intake of copper, right? So it, it kind of, kind of exponentially builds that, that copper negativity that, that you have going on. Um, and so it, it does lead to a lot of problems and, and it is kind of a, a common uh, fallacy that I don't even know that doctors have to have to spread this one that much because it kind of it's kind of intuitive, right? I mean, or at least it was for me to kind of assume, well, there's no drug, so this is probably a safer alternative, and it's pretty easy for doctors to to reinforce that unless you really start talking to women who have had an IUD. Mm, yeah, it's um, and the side effects can be quite significant, you know, just in terms of depression and mood mm -hmm. disorders. Like I know that, that many women have been um, diagnosed with bipolar as a result of taking the copper IED or, you know, having using the device um, because of the, the copper toxicity and what you were just explaining there and how that their bodies reacted to that. Just for the removal of the device doesn't necessarily resolve the symptoms straight away because the body has gone into this state of you know copper toxicity that needs to be cleared right and i i'm i assume it, it could even be chronic right i mean yeah if you, exactly at a certain you know a certain plateau where your body is is already inclined toward a disease or or you know some sort of um kind of mal i don't know what you would call it i, I guess disease or or just 
general state of unhealth. I, I can see how it, it could be chronic once you you hit a certain level. If your body kind of goes over that mm-hmm. that tipping point, and if you're already uh, you know predisposed to to certain conditions. Exactly, um, which is why it's just so important to know this before you use it. Like if you if you want to use the copper IUD, and that that is, or you know, any kind of birth control. And if that is going to be, you know, the right birth control for you, then it's just so important to be informed about all of these things so that you know what you're actually saying yes to. And then then you can look out for those things and make choices from there. That, that is so true. And I'm trying to, I, I don't think I have it in the top 10. <laughs> I want to make sure. So forgive me if I, if I blow something that comes later, but um, yeah. that's another thing I've started telling women too, when they, when they really feel like they want to try the IUD, it's like, okay, at least have the discussion with your doctor ahead of time about what if I start to experience symptoms? What if I'm unhappy with this? How willing are you to remove it? How much is it going to cost? Get all of those answers up front because on top of this, I can't tell you how many times I've heard women whose doctors basically refuse to remove it. Yeah, uh, or the schedule them months and months down the road. They insist you give it, you know, give it a few months to let your body get used to it. And the woman is feeling like she's going crazy and she wants it out now. Uh, a lot of doctors say it's, you know, it's impossible. The symptoms you're describing, the the IUD could not be causing this, and they they just will not remove it. Mm. Um, you know, and also I think women need to be aware of, you know, how it's 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 not all that uncommon for the thing to break when they are trying to remove it, and then you've got, uh, you know, an arm inside you somewhere that they may have to go in and do surgery to remove it, or you know, they may have to do MRIs to try to locate it. You know, so yeah, it's yeah. um. It's a it's it's a major commitment. Anytime you you put any kind of medical device inside your body, there's the potential for things to go wrong. You know, so I think women really need to be aware of all of those issues going into it. Absolutely. I mean, even even just the physical fact that you've got a device inside your uterus and remembering that there is connective tissue that is you know like a web throughout our entire body. So. If that's being, if you've got something inserted into your body, so you had something inserted under your skin or, you know, this is inside your one of your organs, then there is going to be some kind of effect. And I know that some women have experienced like back pain or pelvic pain as a result of having the IUD inserted and it's been mm-hmm. dismissed as not being possible to be associated. But as soon as it's removed, then the pain disappears. So mm-hmm. it makes sense, you know, when you think about how, I mean, everything is connected. We cannot isolate one part of the body and say, you know, n- nothing else can be impacted by this. Right. Right. So number six, let's go. The hormones are, here we are, the hormones are localized, so they don't cause any problems. Right. Yeah. So uh, as you referred to at the top, this is uh, this is probably the the one that initiated this whole conversation. Um, but yeah, this this blew my mind. You know, just coming from, you know, I'm just I'm just a layman. But to me, this is just the idea that a medical professional is telling women that these drugs are localized, so you don't have to worry about them, just seems completely absurd. Um, the idea that these hormones are just going to 
you know, be homebodies and set in your uterus and manage your fertility. And, and that's it. It's just encapsulated right there. Uh, no worries any further. Uh, and this is pretty common with both uh, the, the Marina, I guess it's the Marina here. I don't know if it is in Australia, yeah. but the, you know, the IUD that has the drug in it. Uh, and then the Nuva ring as well. I've heard a lot of women on the Nuva ring be told that the hormones are localized. So, uh, you know, all the problems with other hormonal contraceptives are gone. Uh, total fallacy. I mean, hormone hormones are, are systemic, right? Uh, there's, there's no getting around that. Do you recall what we were talking about when, uh, when this first came up? It was just somebody that had an IUD, I believe, right? Yeah, it, an IUD in terms of depression. So it was like, well, how can, how can if, it's, if it's just localized, you know, and the hormones are just in, in the area of the uterus, then how can it be affecting the brain, for example? But, you know, if, like you say, hormones are systemic and they travel in the blood and we have a cardiovascular system that's, you know, pumping blood around, every part of our body and we have different receptors for hormones all over our body. So, you know, how, how can it not affect other areas that are susceptible? So. Right. And, uh, and again, it's, it's hard for me to, uh, to give doctors a pass on that. It just seems the idea seems so ludicrous. I can't help, but wonder when a doctor tells a woman that's like, did that doctor actually believe that? Or is, you know, surely they, surely they could see that it's a ruse you, you would think, but mm. I, I guess it's possible. I guess it's possible. And it's, um, it's now, you know, the, the study that came out of Denmark, the million women's study uh, that talked about depression that was, you know, it's been pretty, a bit of a landmark study in terms of really recognizing birth control and the link between birth control and, and mental health issues. And right. the IUD, the marina was one of the, I think, worst in terms of being more at risk of depression than other forms of birth control. I believe the I believe the Nuva Ring was as well. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I believe. Yeah. Um, and you know, you, there have been a few of those studies. I'm trying to think how to phrase this. So there have been a few of those studies, including that one, that have started looking at these new gener you know, new generation hormones. Uh, so like the you know, fourth generation progestins and and these newer devices and everything. And the results have come back even, I think there, I'm trying to remember there was a there was a major breast cancer study that found that uh, even women who were taking the new, you know, like progestin only IUDs or, or drugs like that had just a, as high breast cancer risks as women on combo pills. And, and time after time you read these studies and you see how, you know, doctors and industry experts are, are blown away because they had always assumed these newer, you know, newer generations and newer devices were safer. And, that, and that's part of the problem is, you know, they've spent, all these decades of just assuming that the the new generations are safer. That's not the way science is supposed to be. You know, you're, we're not supposed to just come out with something new and, and, you know, because marketing tells us that it's new and improved, we have to believe it's, it's safer. Uh, so it's, it's really fascinating to see all these studies come out and see the response of, of, doctors and people in the know who are just blown away because of the assumptions they had held. It's mm. a, kind of alarming too actually yeah yeah absolutely it is okay so moving on now to number five these drugs have hormones just like your body makes 
Just like your body. Just like your body. <laughs> um, and this, this is, uh, I think I, I think I probably voiced it a little better in the audio version of the book. Uh, but it's one of those things uh, that I've kind of transitioned as I go along, you know, where, and I still, you know, kind of out of habit, sometimes we'll talk about doctors who who hand out birth control, like, uh, like it should come in a Pez dispenser, uh, you know, like it's candy, but the, and I think we discussed this in our webinar too. It's, it's, but it's, it's worse than that, you know, because at least with candy, we, we have some sense of it's not good for us in the end, you know, right. Um, but Doctors hand out almost like it's a supplement. You know, they they tell you it's hormones just like your body's making, and um, and it's not. You know, it's chemically different. It may be similar, but it's it's it is different, and it causes problems. Um, and I think it was Dr. Hugh Davis who said at the Nelson Pill hearings, um, you know, to think of them as natural as comforting, but quite false. Uh, and I think that's still where we are. You know, it's it's comforting to hear that. You know, these are the hormones just like your body's making, um, but uh, it's wrong, you know, so we, we shouldn't take a lot of comfort in it. Uh, and th- this one also makes me think of, um, I, I did an interview several years ago with Dr. Zach Bush, um, who has, he's gained a lot of notoriety over the last year and a half or so uh, in, in this COVID thing. And in fact, he was just on a, a podcast with uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. about a week ago. Um, and when RFK was introducing him, he called him one of his heroes, which kind of blew me away. Uh, but anyway, I, I introduced, I mean, I, I interviewed Dr. Bush um, a couple of years ago because when he was at the University of Virginia, uh, he had put together a, a form and put it on the uh, student health website uh, telling women the facts about migraines and how if, if you have a history of migraines or even if you have a family history of migraines, you should look into non-hormonal forms of birth control. Um, and I was just blown away that a, a, a medical doctor would be saying this. And it's it's been removed from their website now and he's no longer there. But um, I thought it was worth interviewing him j- just for that fact alone. And so he's a, you know, he's a triple board certified MD uh, and one of the things he he said that I hadn't really thought about before is not only are these not only are these chemicals, you know, not what your body produces. But here's here's kind of a quote for what he said. Uh, he said we're not delivering these hormones like the body would deliver them. So even if they were the same, the way we're delivering them is wrong. Uh, he said either in dose delivery curves or the location. He said the small intestine is not where we want high progesterone levels and these hormones in the wrong place can be disastrous. So I hadn't even thought about that. You know, even, even if these were just like your body makes the way we're delivering them is all wrong and could still cause problems. Um, so, you know, you can't even, you can't even be off the hook by, by saying that if you believed it, that, that it's just the same as what your body makes. Yeah. And then, and uh, yeah, it's, this one really gets to me as well. It's like when, because when you look at the the symptoms of, you know, what how a woman experiences birth control and say the progestins and then what actual progesterone does in your body, you know, just take the simple example of, uh, again, coming back to depression, you know, you're at higher risk of depression taking a progestin uh, and then, you know, which is well, well known and then, progesterone is actually very soothing and calming for the brain and super supportive in that way in terms of the neurotransmitters that it supports sleep and all of those things. So it really is. Then that's just one example of many of the sort of counter 
differences between you know the synthetic version and the actual version of the drug of the hormone yeah it's definitely one to think about yes absolutely okay so now i'm maybe i'm thinking maybe i should have moved that one a little higher up the list yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think you're right i think they're all they're all on the on the same path, like right, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. no particular order. I no guess that's where we'll, that's where we'll end this whole thing at the end. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, number four. Okay, so you just need to give your body time to adjust. Super common. Yeah, very common. And I, I don't know. I what other what other specialist, what other medical specialist could get away with with telling a patient this. So true. So true. So it's like if you had, if you were the cardiologist and you were taking a drug <laughs> that said you went, said you weren't feeling well on it, they said, so just give it some time. <laughs> right. It, it 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 makes no sense. It, yeah. Or or you know a psychi- you know psychiatrist, psychologist. Uh, I guess psychiatrist would be if you're you know what if your patient comes in and says they feel like killing themselves or killing other people, and you say, well, just give your body time to adjust. <laughs> you know, it, it's. It, it's mind blowing. It, it's as so many of these are, um, and it, and this one does make me think about. It. I have another quote here. This is from Dr. Philip Ball, who who testified at the Nelson Pill hearings as well. He said, "I believe that we physicians are so used to administering very potent medicines to very serious disease for yeah to very serious disease problems, we have not really yet learned." It is a totally different circumstance to administer powerful non-essential drugs chronically to healthy young women, as is done in contraceptive pill administration. Um, and so, I think that's another important thing that we we kind of lose sight of, and we've lost an appreciation for. You know, doctors are used to to powerful drugs to treat deadly or chronic diseases to to help give relief for some you know some ailment, but it's a totally different paradigm when you're giving a healthy patient yeah. a powerful drug mm-hmm. that can also cause side effects. And I, I think doctors have, have still, I mean, this was 1970 that he said this, and I think doctors still really haven't weighed that. They still think of it like any other drug, you know, the, you know, if you're fighting cancer with tamoxifen or something like that, and somebody has side effects, it's pretty easy to say, well, you know, in that sense, I can say, well, give your body time to adjust and let's see how you do, because this is going to help you. We know it'll help slow down your cancer, the way your cancer spreads or whatever. I can see justifying something like that and saying, let's give your body time to adjust and see how you handle it. But we're not dealing with cancer. We're not dealing with a chronic disease. We're, we're dealing with a drug that most of the time helps prevent pregnancy. Um, it, it's it should be a completely different reaction to these major side effects. Uh, you know, it, it, to me, you're giving it to a healthy person to stop a natural process. It's it's not the same. Yeah, which is you know just comes back to the whole foundation of the pill. You know, the way that it's been produced is is like when it's the first time we've ever given medication drugs to a healthy person. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it calls for a different paradigm. Mm, Absolutely. Okay. So number three, this study doesn't mean women should stop taking their birth control. Yeah. And this is, again, this is another one of those, it's not, not generally said like in a a doctor to patient one-on-one, this is more in a, 
uh, articles you may read about a study that comes out. But there's always, you know, there's always that uh, industry expert who's willing to say this, you know, that the study doesn't mean women should stop taking the pill. Um, and I don't know, I've got kind of a novel idea. I don't know, it's, it's kind of crazy. But my thought is, what if we just told women about all these side effects and let them decide if they should stop taking the pill? I think that would be a, a crazy, wacky thing to try, and maybe we should do it. But I don't know. That's that's just where my my mind always goes when I hear somebody <laughs> saying, "This doesn't mean you should stop taking it." Like, how about we tell them the facts, and then they can make that decision. That's a so it's a novel idea. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it's been tried. I really don't. <laughs> At least not as far as you know, birth control has. Uh, yeah, has seen. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think we can leave that one there. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And I actually remember you talking about this in your book or was it in one of our conversations or the podcast that I can't remember where I think this was, you know, when you first started going, there was a professor that you went to listen or you were working. Yeah. Yeah, this was one of the original ones for me. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I met uh, I met Dr. Noel Rose, who's called the father of autoimmune disease. That's right. Uh, yeah, he was speaking, at, and and this is what this is actually. Yeah, this started my whole birth control adventure. Um, but he was talking about he, he was giving a, a lecture keynote speech on the broad strokes of autoimmune disease and what causes it and everything. I was convinced he had to be talking about birth control in his speech when he was talking about chemicals that get in our body and mimic natural estrogen. And so I spoke to him afterwards and and he completely lied to me and said, no, birth control has never been associated with uh, any of these autoimmune diseases. Got back to my hotel room that night, found a study on lupus that showed that women who took lupus were 50% more likely to develop or who took birth control were 50% more likely to develop lupus. And I'm thinking, wow, maybe Dr. Rose hasn't heard about this study yet. And I was going to try to find him the next day at the conference and share it with him. And uh, But I get halfway through the article and there's a quote from him saying exactly this, this, this study doesn't mean women should stop taking the pill, you know, for some small increased risk of developing lupus. Uh, and yeah, that was that was immediately where the the light switch flipped, and I was like, "What is he talking about? This doesn't mean you know how many women would make that decision if they knew, you know, not, not just lupus, but if you looked at breast cancer and everything else, and plus now you hear about this lupus, how many women would say, "Yeah, he's right. You know, this doesn't mean I should stop taking it." You know, mm -hmm. I think they should at least be given that choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on to number two. So don't worry, I'll just prescribe an antidepressant. Part of what I really hate about this one is just how dangerous it is. Yeah. Um, and it's it's an it's a it's a solution for just about anything. It seems like. Uh, and I in my book I share the story uh, from a forum that I found a, a lupus forum of a young woman who had had really bad lupus symptoms. She on her own decided to stop taking birth control and her symptoms got a lot better. And so she was off of it for several years. And then she decided she was going to give birth control a shot again with a different formulation. She got a prescription, started taking it and immediately her flare-ups got worse and her lupus went raging out of control. And she went to the doctor telling him and he didn't think it had anything to do with the pill. Um, 
which, okay, there's mind blown number one, right? Um, he, he, he basically talked her out of the idea that it could have been the pill causing it. Uh, but then he also said he was going to prescribe her an antidepressant to help her rest a little better. And again, I, I, mean, I hate, I mean, I hate, I don't, I don't throw it around uh, casually, but I mean, to me, that's, that's criminal. I mean, the doctor has to know better than that. And if he doesn't, then it's, it's definitely negligence to the point of still being criminal. Um, it, just stuff like that. It blows my mind and hurts my soul. Um, and I think doctors need to be better informed if they really think they're, they're doing something good for the patient in, in a case like that. Um, and just, uh, I won't get too deep in the woods on it, but it also makes me think about um, Barbara Seaman in, in her books back again in the late sixties was writing about her husband was a psychiatrist and she felt like the possibility that it was possible that suicides could actually be the, the biggest killer of women who were taking these things. You know, they had, up to that point, they, breast cancer was kind of the big one everybody was starting to become aware of. And they were, you know, wondering, but, but she was really concerned about suicides. And she had spoken with Dr. Aid, uh, this Dr. Aid, who said, um, uh, researchers were learning that the combination of the pill and certain psychiatric drugs could produce a broad range of dangerous and unpleasant effects. Among these were tremor and rigidity as in Parkinson's disease. Um, and that's, again, we don't, we don't have enough respect for these potent drugs that we're handing out to healthy patients, but then we compound it by giving them a second drug. And, and, you know, what that curve of, of things that could go wrong with the patient, once you start getting into polypharmacy is, is scary, especially mm -hmm. when you're, especially when you go back to this was a healthy patient who was taking a drug to stop a normal process. And now you've got her on two or three drugs, you know, that are all in combination, having these effects on her body chemistry. And it just, I don't, I don't know how anybody could feel like it's worth it. You know, just the, the dangers once you get into a second or third drug and what it's doing to her body. I, I don't, I don't see how you can, I don't see how you can justify it. And, you know, also when you think about, you know, this was a doctor again in the late 60s, late sixties, who was already recognizing that the combination of the pill with certain psychiatric drugs could cause tremor and rigidity as in Parkinson's disease. And, you know, not to say it's always the connection, but there's a doctor who recently uh, came out with this idea of uh, how, how little autoimmune encephalitis was being uh, diagnosed. He, he estimated that there were uh, three, uh, a low estimate, low ball estimate of 3.2 million women or not women, sorry, 3.2 million people who were diagnosed with schizophrenia who actually suffer from undiagnosed autoimmune encephalitis, which is, you know, when you're in it, he says it could fool even the most astute doctor into thinking it's schizophrenia. And a lot of times you kind of, you become rigid and you get locked up in, in a capsule encapsulated inside yourself and, and it's diagnosed as schizophrenia, but who knows how many of those patients could be actually women who were on the pill and prescribed an antidepressant. And then they go into this, this state uh, and, you know, it's, it's an actual autoimmune disease, but, you know, we, we have no idea what, what drugs are creating and what levels they are. And, and, you know, that's all speculation admittedly, but still just the, the thought of 
where all this could be leading. And we have, we have no idea. And it has to be speculation because nobody's researching it to see what, you know, what those connections are. And um, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm mm. sorry. I'm, I'm rambling on this one, but this no, one really good. disturbs me. This one really disturbs mm. me. Just the idea of, um, Hey, don't worry. We'll just give you another really powerful drug to start screwing up the rest of your life. Um, it, it, it just, it irks me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big one, that one. And, you know, you said a few times in terms of powerful drug, potent drug, that's something that women really need to understand is that the, the pill is very potent. Like it's, it's not just a tiny little pill that you're just, no. you know, popping every day. And, and it's, you, it is actually a very potent drug. So yeah. Yeah, that's a big topic that we could probably explore more, that one. Yeah. Um, but for now, let's go to number one. Okay. Okay, the benefits still outweigh the risks. Benefits? Risks? <laughs> Which benefits? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, this one, I think this one will always be my number one. Again, I say that without any... Uh, affection toward yeah. it uh, <laughs> or no, no celebratory uh, fanfare, but uh, it will always be my number one on this list of lows. Uh, and again, part of it's because, you know, in, in the book, I go into pretty detailed uh, discussion on how the pill was pushed through and at the Nelson pill hearings, uh, how the testimonies revealed uh that really it was pushed through because these, these people in positions of power were so concerned about uh, overpopulation that they determined um, it was worth it to put women on these dangerous, powerful drugs, knowing that some of them, some of them would die. Some of them would become infertile, you know, whatever there was going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of casualty involved in this, but they felt like it was worth it because it was important to society. Um, and I, I forget the exact quote, but um, Senator Nelson even said at one point in the hearings that he, he never saw it as the, uh, the job of the physician to sacrifice a patient in the name of the greater good. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he said. Um, because so, so many of these doctors were testifying saying, well, the benefits outweigh the risk. You know, this is the first time in history we've looked at, we changed the benefit to risk paradigm, essentially. And we looked at the benefit to society versus the risk to the individual woman. And we determined that it's worth it. Um, and so now every time I hear this, and you still see this all the time, when you read on birth control, you're going to see this in, you know, probably a majority of the articles about it, someone's going to say the benefits still outweigh the risks. Um, and every time I see that, I just, I can't help but think benefit to whom and, and risk to whom, because clearly, um, you know, there, there are clearly people who still are looking at the benefit to society versus, you know, however many women it injures or hurts and, and they're willing to accept that, that casualty loss. Um, and so th this one will always be my number one. Yes. And understandably so. Understandably so with this one. 
and it goes right back to the, the initial study that, that the whole uh, passing of the drug was based on. And I remember reading in your book about the Puerto Rican trials and, um, you know, just how that sort of played out. But if you want to get onto that, you, if you want to hear more of that, you can read um, Mike's book or you can go back to, I've looked just looked, it's episode seven, episode seven on the podcast and you can check out more details about that trial and and very soon you'll be able to listen to the book yes yes i was going to make sure we got that in before the end so here it is so mike's audio book is going to be released imminently and um everyone needs to to make sure they get onto that because that's um going to be a fantastic accessible medium to um to get that yeah incredible manual of information on the pill now yeah, we've yeah go. Uh, I was just going to say because you mentioned the Puerto Rico trials. Uh, one yeah. thing that's that's new in the audio book when it comes out in probably November or December um, is so I, I did the interview with Abby Epstein. She and Ricky Lake are, are putting together a documentary called uh, "The Business of Birth Control," uh, which is coming out. Uh, it it uh, premieres at a festival in New York, uh, November fifteenth, I believe, um, and. So I had gone back and forth with Abby, who is the director, and um, they uncovered some archival uh, articles and things about birth control. And she sent me a bunch of them. She said, hey, I thought you might be interested in these. And like the very first article I read was from this feminist magazine talking about how um, <clears throat> the population control movement had had kind of subverted and taken over the feminist movement for their own cause and how they, it was, I mean, basically they were seeing it real time, how these, these drugs were being pushed into the marketplace using feminism kind of as a front to get them passed. Um, and in the article, they talked about the, uh, the trials in Puerto Rico, Haiti, and Kentucky. And I was born in Kentucky and this was the first time I had ever heard of any kind of trials in Kentucky. So I was, I was amazed because I figured my days of researching the history of birth control were over um, and it would just be medical from this point forward. So I was really fascinated to learn more about the Kentucky trials. I still haven't found anything on the trials in Haiti. And apparently there was another trial in slums in Los Angeles. I haven't found anything on those yet, um, but it was really interesting to dig back through and look at how they were conducting these trials again on women in Appalachian, Eastern Kentucky, not telling them it was a trial um, and, uh, and just testing these drugs on them uh, just prior to them being approved by the FDA. So some information on that is, is going to be in the audio book as well. That wasn't in the, in the written book. Fantastic. Great. Amazing. And then, so that was number one, but I just yes. want to add one. Can I add one? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> before we, <laughs> before we wrap up, um, my one is uh, that, and we've probably talked about it in amongst the others, but when doctors say that the pill is going to regulate your period and yeah, yeah it just baffles me that that women who are on the pill still think that they're having a period and, you know, by the very nature of the way that the pill works, it shuts down that system. So therefore, you know, your natural hormones and anything that is going to produce an actual period is not happening. So it's, it's impossible for the pill to regulate anything 
because it's actually shut it down. And the same for goes for if a woman um, doesn't have a period and she's given the pill to get a period or just take the pill and you'll get a period. That, again, you know, is just really baffling because there's a reason why she doesn't have her period and that needs to be addressed rather than just taking the pill and getting a withdrawal bleed from the drugs. That's not, that's not giving you a period. Yeah, a, a pill bleed is not a real period. It's a withdrawal from the drugs. So, right. yeah. That's, that's a good one. Mm. I hadn't thought about that one. Yeah, I may have to rethink my list yeah. in no in no particular order now. Yeah, it is. It's probably a very a growing a growing list, um, unfortunately. And and I do have. I don't know if you have it. I do have a bonus. Yes, you, I've got the bonus. Let me. Okay. Here we go. So this is a bonus, but it's it's not doctors. It's a it's a lie women tell themselves. Do you want me to read it? Sure. Um, I've been taking the pill for X number of years and it hasn't hurt me. So I, I hear this quite a bit. I'm sure you do too. Um, anytime you, I, I, I don't understand how they feel like it, you know, again, it's, it's anecdotal. And I, and I guess in a defense, I can see wanting to do that. You know, if somebody says, uh, you know, 50% of the women who take it experience this, then it's kind of a natural response to say, well, I've been taking it for 15 years and it hasn't hurt me. Right. Um, which is, I mean, great, good for you. But my, my fear always is that the woman is singing victory too soon. Um, you know, because, and even when I, when I talk, I thought it was interesting when I talked to Dr. Zach Bush about the, the migraine thing he had done, he said, part of the reason he went into migraines was he was aware of all these other side effects. He said, but so many of the things like, you know, cancer or heart disease or, you know, whatever, they have a latency to them. It, it takes a while for them to, you know, manifest where a woman recognizes that it's happening. And so it's a lot harder to make that association. He felt like migraines were a really easy tackle because they tend to happen, you know, a lot of times, as soon as you start taking the pill, you start having migraines and it's pretty easy to associate, oh, this must be caused by the pill because that's something I've changed in my life and now I'm having migraines. And he felt like it would be easier to, to help women connect that there is this causation there. Um, and so when I hear women say, I've, I've taken it for 15 or 20 years and I don't, you know, I don't have any of those things, it's, it's still again, I feel like it's an early celebration because y your story isn't written yet. You don't know how it's going to end. You don't know what's coming down the road. And maybe you will live the, the rest of your life and, and not have any noticeable damage from it. But I think the women who, who do that are probably way fewer than the women who do get damaged by it. And I'll just, I, I want to throw out two, you know, sort of statistics or, or studies just as food for thought related to this. Um, there was a Mayo study clinic that looked at uh, several other studies, compiled information. And one of the things that came out of that study that really stuck with me is um, women who take hormonal birth control before having a child, before bringing a child to birth are 44% more likely to have a diagnosed, uh, to be diagnosed with breast cancer under the age of 50 
Um, and I know, you know, when you're young, 50 may sound old, but it's, trust me, it's not that old, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but, but to think about being diagnosed with breast cancer before 50, that's a pretty early age to be diagnosed with breast cancer. And so 44% more likely if you took birth control before having a child, hmm. uh, than women who had a child before taking or that's didn't huge. take it at all. Hmm. I think that's really huge. Uh, Another one is women who have ever taken hormonal birth control for more than a year have an increased risk of atherosclerosis or hardening of the arteries. Uh, My mouth is not working well today, so I really blundered that. But so, and the risk increases with duration up to 40% or 42% increased risk with each decade of use, you know, so you may think I took it for 20 years and it did no damage, but you know, 20 years and you're increasing your risk up to 42% for each decade of atherosclerosis. That's, that's significant, you know? (laughs) And, um, and that's, you know, that's, that's not a, uh, that's not a minor ailment to deal with either. You know, so you're talking about two major things, hardening of the arteries and breast cancer, Again, it's long-term, it's going to be hard to make that connection. And when you're 21 or 22 years old, you're not thinking about when you're 50 or 55, uh, but you, you know, you're, you're definitely doing things that the, the longer you take them, the worse your, the worse your lab numbers are getting, the worse, you know, uh, the, the duration just increases your risk of adding on all these things you're going to have to deal with later in life. And um and, and I just, that's, that's what I see and hear when I hear a woman say, I've taken it for X number of years and it hasn't hurt me. I just, I just really wonder about what, what her future is going to look like. And, and I hope, hope for the best for them, but I, I, I fear the, the chances are, are worse that it, it is going to catch up with them. Yeah. Well, you've got the, the compounding effect of a drug, very powerful drug over that many years versus you know, you're the, the, um, and then not having the, I guess the, the monthly deposits of, of your natural hormones that would otherwise be depositing into that bank of, you know, so-called long-term health, you kind right. of, you know, kind of giving, doing, doing the opposite in a way. So there's this compounding effect that, you know, of course it's got to be doing something, thank you so much, Mike. That was fantastic. And I mean, as always, we, I could talk to you for a lot longer on every single one of those points. Um, But no doubt we will have more conversations like this. And particularly, you know, we'll celebrate that when your audio book comes out and anything else that, that comes out um, that you're going, that you're working on. I know you've got other publications that that are potentially coming. So uh, yeah, we're looking very much looking forward to that. And I know my listeners um, really enjoy your content and contribution to women's health. So thank you very, very much. I appreciate it, Sarah. And like I said, at the top, it's, it's really always a, a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, same thing. I, I feel like I could just t- talk for hours. I feel like I talk too much, but it's perfect. It's a, it is a pleasure. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, that is it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Sarah. You're listening to follow your flow podcast with Sarah Harris. Subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and get in touch. All details on www. 
followyourflow.com.au slash podcast.